The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guys Guy Radio, and its platforms. It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And today's Guys Guys Radio is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And be sure to add our podcast, Guys Guys Radio, and the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. All right, we've got a great show for you today. Our special guest is a author and a director of journalism at your college, C-U-N-Y. And he's an author, and he's a terrific guy. His name is Glenn Lewis from New York City. And we're going to talk about his book called Sparring with Smoke and Joe, Joe Frazier's Epic Battles and Rivalry with Muhammad Ali. And we're going to talk about Joe's life, his struggles growing up in Beaufort, South Carolina, winning the Olympic gold medal, his undefeated pro career that led to the first epic fight with Muhammad Ali in Madison Square Garden. That was called the fight of the century. It was a fight that transcended the sport of boxing and got everybody's interest in it because of there was so many cultural overtones there. And it also went on to a second bout with Ali, a third bout, the famous Thriller in Manila, and also uh, some of other Joe's epic fights with Jimmy Ellis and Buster Mathis and George Chavallo and Oscar Bonavina and George Foreman, of course. He lost to him twice. And they say, you know, that boxing is a matter of styles. It's interesting that Joe Frazier beat Ali, and then he, had, he lost in two kind of controversial decisions. One, one controversial decision. The other one, they threw in the towel at the end of the thrill in Manila at the 14th round. And both fighters were kind of gassed out at that point. But when Frazier fought George Foreman, he got knocked out in both fights. Yet Ali knocked Foreman out and won the title back. So it's an interesting sport. And the story of Joe Frazier, his life and his career is very interesting. Also, we're also going to look at how he did after his career in terms of uh, managing his post-boxing career into one of music and also managing his son, Marvis. So I think you're really going to enjoy the interview. You know, boxing is a crazy sport and we're going to get into it. So my interest in Joe Frazier began as a young fella in River Edge, New Jersey. I kept one scrapbook in my entire life back in the days where people had scrapbooks, and it was of Joe Frazier. And I had every news article about him I could find, starting with when he was in the Olympics and when he uh, won the New York title, and then he won the world title, and then he fought Muhammad Ali, and he won the first fight, the uh, fight of the century in Madison Square Garden on March 8th, 1971. 
and then right through his career. And I asked myself, I went back like two years ago as I was packing up to move from New York to California. And I'm like, I went, went through a lot of my stuff that I had kept and I had a big trunk and at the bottom of the trunk was this, my Joe Frazier scrapbook. I'm like, should I bring it? And I said, ah, you know what? I'm just going to go through it and I'm going to sit with it for about an hour. And I flipped through and I read the articles. And I'm like, what was it that drew me to Joe Frazier? And I thought about it and it was his determination his resilience, his persistence, his work ethic, his underdog status, and his lack of receiving the respect he truly deserved until really after he passed. And just so much about him, I respected. And that's why I kept a scrapbook. I, maybe I identified with those qualities. I don't, I don't know, but that's what I did. I kept a scrapbook of Joe Frazier. And now we're going to talk about Joe on the show today. I had a chance to meet him very briefly when his uh, band was playing in Virginia Beach, I was on vacation with a couple of my buddies, and we went to see the show, and Joe came around, and he put out his hand, and his fingers were so big that I, I, I reached around and shook hands with his index and middle finger. That's how big and thick his fingers were, and his hand was. I've never seen anything like it. And he was friendly, and he put on a good performance, too. So anyhow, Joe Frazier is my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, it may shock and amaze you, and I'm going to whoop Joe Frazier. That's what Muhammad Ali said, and we're going to get into it right now. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, and you know it's favorite part of my show, which is the interviews, because I bring in all these wonderful guests who have stories and experiences and journeys and insights to share with us. And I've got a great one today. His name is Glenn Lewis, and he's written a book called Sparring with Smoke and Joe. It's about Joe Frazier, the professional boxer, heavyweight champ, kind of an underrated heavyweight, and yet probably one of the top five of all time and a very interesting man with an interesting journey. And Glenn has done a spectacular job researching, uh, working with the Frazier and the Frazier family and putting this book together. But let me tell you a little bit about Glenn before we bring him out. He's a director of journalism at York College, CUNY, and a professor at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY, where he has long taught nonfiction book writing seminars, and I should really take one because I'm working on one now. Lewis, a veteran journalist, has written about sports and a wide range of other topics. His work has appeared in Publishers Weekly, Sport, Car and Driver, 17, Family Weekly, Library Journal, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and many other pub publications. You can see he's very well read and he's written about a number of big topics. In 1980, Glenn spent several months covering Joe Frazier and his inner circle during what was a crossroads in the legendary fighter's life and career. is kind of, kind of at the tail end. And it's an interesting way to do kind of a biography because he's picking up kind of after some things happened, but before other things would happen. He did a wonderful job with this book. Sparring with Smoke and Joe has been named one of the top 10 sports books of 2021 by the American Library Association. As a sports writer, Glenn has also written about the Olympics, NBA, Duke basketball, which I don't like because I went to Villanova, and the rise <laughs> of women's sports. Glenn's interviewed Reggie Jackson, Bill Bradley, Walter Payton, and many other sports stars, and he's profiled iconic media figures, including Walter Cronkite, David Halberston, Jim Layer, Betty Friedan, Studs Terkel, many others. On, he's an on-air journalist, expert for Fox News, 
He co-authored the Big Beauty book, which is a little bit out of the box based on this other work I'm reading about, a popular health and advice title with a Ford model. And he co-authored this Southside Sluggers baseball mystery series for Simon & Schuster, and also served as editor and sole writer for a volume of the Encyclopedia of Journalism. So this is a man of letters and a very, very smart guy, and he's written a terrific book, Sparring with Smoke and Joe, an intimate sports narrative by Glenn Lewis, full of never-before-told stories about Joe Frazier that shows him and his rival, Muhammad Ali, in a totally new light. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Glenn Lewis. Hi. Well, I'm so glad to be here and uh, anxious to talk about the book. Awesome. So let's start at the very beginning. Your journey with Joe Frazier began in earnest around 1980, which was really at the end of his career. Uh, A few years after his first retirement, actually, he came back for one more fight and didn't didn't go well. He got a draw, lucky draw on that. But how did you come upon this project and uh, how did you gain access and the trust of Frazier and his family? Good questions. Um, I had done an interview with Joe and his son, Marvis, who was then the number one amateur in the United States, um, a few months before for a different magazine. And uh, and we got to know each other. We were comfortable with each other from that one day of interviewing. Uh, then Esquire magazine contacted me and heard rumors that Ali was going to come back to fight Joe uh, Larry Holmes for the uh, heavyweight championship the following year. And they thought that might prompt Joe to come out of retirement. They heard rumors and they wanted to confirm whether that was true or not. And if Joe was going to come out of retirement, they thought that potentially it would lead to an Ali Frazier 4, which would have been the mother of all fights. And so they wanted me to rekindle my friendship with uh, Joe and to get his personal look at how this decision was being made and what it would be like confronting Ali again. What was it about Joe Frazier, Glenn, that drew you to him? Were you a boxing fan, a Frazier fan as a boxer, or did you respect him as somebody who had a tough journey, was very, as you say, very resilient and a hard worker, very determined, kind of used every tool he had in the, in the toolkit to, to really make his way? that every man could relate to him? Well, you know, it's funny. At first, I started out like so many people from my generation. You got to realize, I did this interview 40 years ago. So I was, you know, around 30 at the time. And and I was a huge Ali fan. You know, I wanted Ali to kill Frazier in that first fight, the fight of the century. You know, you got to remember, back then, this was not just a sporting event. This was a confrontation, a political confrontation, a cultural confrontation. People felt passionate about both sides and both fighters. Uh, you didn't just want a guy to win. You wanted him to obliterate the other guy and prove you right and prove your causes right. and. So I went into those fights, you know, admiring Ali, hating Joe. And then I wound up a few years later interviewing him. And 
I was actually really surprised. Number one, how much I liked him. Uh, I was surprised how resilient he was, uh, how he, how smart he was. I, I underestimated, to be honest, how smart he was and how smart he would be in figuring out what it would take to answer tough questions and still be honest and human about his answers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he surprised me at every step along the way. And, uh, and that became sort of his trademark in a way. He was a very resilient guy. He developed certain attitudes and certain ways of dealing with loss, whether it was a loss of a fight, a loss of respect in public from an, an interview, uh, Ali's picking on him, whatever it was, he developed a certain resilience, uh, an ability to like swallow the loss and come back. You know, he talked about everything being only a party. It, it's, it, it's, it's a party, it's only a party. And at first it seemed kind of trite, like I was sort of thinking to myself, Boy, that's a pretty simplistic way of looking at life. But he really took it to heart. And he was able to overcome law, you know, those feelings immediately. Well, let's just start with his childhood for, for sort of some context. He grew up in Buford, South Carolina, on a farm. He ended up going off on his own because he didn't feel he was getting the respect he deserved. And he didn't think he would be able to kind of climb up and out of his situation uh, in South Carolina. So he ended up in Philadelphia. And that's what everybody knows him about being uh, Philly. That's where he kind of landed. He went up to New York, and then he ended up in Philadelphia. Um, he had a tough childhood. He was a tough kid, but he wasn't a, really a bully. What, what did you learn about Joe Frazier's character from these formative years? That's a good question. Um, you got to remember, this was the tail end of the Jim Crow South. So he was growing up essentially in the Jim Crow South, He was a very tough kid, very husky kid, um, very outspoken. It's funny. Ali was known as the outspoken one and Joe was the quiet one. But Joe as a kid was uh, strong in his beliefs and strongly outspoken. And it's funny. A lot of times he used to criticize Ali. He would say, well, you know, you're a middle class kid. You grew up in Louisville from middle class parents. You know, you had money. You, you didn't know what it was like. I had to, you know, grow up in the, in the Jim Crow South and I stood up for myself and, you know, that was life and death. And he described a couple of things in the book where he spoke up, you know, to the overseer of, of a plantation he was working on where the guy had been beating some of the other young guys who were working you know, on the plantation, and he threatened Joe. He said, you know, if you don't keep quiet, you know, you're going to get a beating, you're going to do this. And Joe stood up to him. And literally because of that, he had to leave home because his mother was afraid he was going to be lynched. Yeah, people don't realize that this this stuff hasn't gone away completely yet either. And it's just that's very recent history, so very sad. I, I found the uh, passages about Buster Mathis very interesting. Now, Buster Mathis was a, a bigger guy. He was a, a rival. Uh, he was kind of a precursor of Muhammad Ali. 
for Joe Frazier, in my opinion, in that he was bigger, he was slicker, he was more polished, he had the reputation. Joe fought him twice and actually lost to him in the Olympic trials uh, by a kind of a you know, questionable decision. And then they went to Tokyo and Mathis didn't train and Frazier got the nod and he went in there and won the gold medal. That tells you something about this guy's character. And then they fought as pros. Talk to us a little bit about that as a precursor to the Ali rivalry. At least that's how I took it, Glenn. That's a great thing to pick up on. Uh, Buster Mathis really frustrated Joe. He was, uh, first of all, he was almost 300 pounds. So he really outweighed him. He was a big guy, tall. Um, and But the thing that Joe underestimated was how quick his movements were, how quick his hands were, and his ability to move around the ring. He was, he was much more agile than Joe gave him credit for. And he really didn't adjust well to his agility over those amateur fights. You know, he, he didn't know as much, so you don't adapt as well. Um, so he beat Joe a couple of times. He, he was the only guy who beat Joe in the amateurs, and then he beat him in, in the Olympic trial. Um, but Joe figured a lot of things out as a pro. And he actually fought him in 1968 for his first championship. The first, uh, they... When Ali left in 67, they had a tournament of, that included the top eight boxes in the heavyweight ranks. And they fought each other. It was an elimination tournament for who would be the new WBA champ. And uh, Joe took a chance. He said, I'm the number one ranked guy. I'm not taking part in that tournament. You hold the tournament. Whoever wins that tournament, I'll fight them for the championship. But I'm not going to lower myself to be part of that tournament. And, you know, it was a risk. They eliminated Joe from the tournament. They said he was rated number nine. We really need to read number one. Number one. But instead, he fought Buster Mathis in 1968 uh, for the New York State Championship. Uh, and which was also a piece of the heavyweight championship. Uh, and he knocked him out in that fight. He finally, again, he was always a student of, of boxing. He, he learned to work with that agility. And also he became a faster starter. Joe was always a slow starter. And uh, Yank Durham taught him to start faster in fights and to work to figure out boxes better. And he figured out Mathis and knocked him out. It was a different era, Glenn, uh, with people with the boxers actually used to fight each other repeatedly. Joe fought Jimmy Ellis, who was kind of a, he was a uh, sparring partner of Muhammad Ali and also kind of a, a mini version of him, if you will. Uh, Jerry Quarry, who was a tough guy, he fought him twice. Bonavina from Argentina, very tough and uh, questionable tactics, fought him twice. And then he had uh, three fights with Ali, two with Foreman. Um, I always wondered why he never fought. Why didn't Joe Frazier and fight Ken Norton? That's interesting. Because um, you know why, Glenn? He said in the book, he said, I like to fight guys, you know, who have the body of like a, a Ken Norton. But he never fought him. 
Yeah, well, you know, first of all, he loved smaller heavyweights because he slaughtered them. Yeah, right. He, <laughs> he slaughtered them. So, uh, and a lot of the, the lighter heavyweights uh, were really afraid of him. They didn't match up well. You know, he was stronger than they were. Uh, he worked inside, uh, which was unusual for a, a small heavyweight. Uh, he had knockout punch power. Um, he moved very well. Joe was deceptive. Uh, a lot of people thought he didn't move well because they were comparing him to Ali, and Ali danced, and Ali was more dramatic in the way he moved around. But Joe was a master at bobbing and weaving, and he would work his way into an opponent's defense by bobbing and weaving and slipping punches and would do a lot of damage inside. So uh, small heavyweights were scared, really scared of him and, and avoided him. You know, Ali and Frazier, they actually started out, and you, you, I want you to get into this, as, as kind of friends, because Joe Frazier, people don't realize that he actually testified on behalf of Ali. He lent him money, all leading up to the, the their fight. And Ali always told him, you'll never be able to beat me, Joe. And Joe was like, yeah, we'll see. But they were on this collision course for a long time. And when that fight was set, then the animosity began. And it seemed to come from Ali's side because he was basically making fun of Frazier's, you know, lack of education, his looks. He he made him out to be kind of like, a, he called him the gorilla and stuff like that. And the, the taunts got dialed up when heading towards the uh, thriller in Manila, it just got more and more personal. What was that all about? And I, I get Frazier was very upset by this. So tell us a little bit about that. All right. Well, you know, first of all, Joe said to me, um, I asked him about that the first day that we got together. And I, I sort of pointed out, like he never quite handled the Ali public argument very well. He seemed to always be at a loss. And that sort of surprised me. And that's the way people came to know Joe. Uh, and it, it didn't seem to fit with the way he handled other things. And I asked him about that. And he said that a big part of it was he was really hurt. You know, he felt that he and Ali had started as very close friends. They worked out together. They supported each other early on. Ali went to the 1960 Olympics. Joe was at the 64 Olympics. They both won championships. They had a very similar beginning of their careers. Um, and he was shocked. I mean, really shocked that this friend of his, when he went to promote the first fight that, you know, the fight of the century was calling him a gorilla, was saying how bad he smelled, you know, was talking about himself as the, the good, the smart, the talented black man. And Joe was the poor- Uncle, Uncle Tom, basically. Uncle he called, Tom. Him. He called him that, Tom. right? Yeah, was, exactly. And that's a terrible, that's a terrible thing to say. And, you know, it's interesting that, um, and we all have such reverence for Ali and all the different work he did that transcended boxing, but- that kind of stuff was, you know, he, that was pretty much overlooked and at the expense of Joe Frazier. So I'm, I'm so glad, Glenn, that you're here. I'm so glad you did this book, Sparring with Smoke and Joe. So let's let's keep going. Now we get to the fight of the century. 
And I, I, there, I did want to say, I did want to say one Please. thing about that. Um, a big part of that taunting was that he was setting himself up and promoting the fight as the black man's champion. Exactly. And he kept calling Joe the white man's champion. Mm -hmm. So he set him up as a hero for his people. And Joe was supposedly the black man that sold his people out that couldn't be trusted. And that sort of stuck after so many, you know, it was the narrative that that so the, that, the, that people got that like that's the narrative like yeah that he, was the narrative over right. over three fights that lasted you know four or five years and that stayed with Joe years later uh, when I was with him down in Augusta Georgia he was appearing in black nightclubs you know with his band and white nightclubs and when he went into the black nightclubs these were his people these were people who grew up. You know, he grew up a hundred miles from there. So there were a lot of these were poor farmers. They they were his people. And yet he was getting a lot of taunts about Ali, about, you know, selling his people out. And this was years later. And it was just left over from Ali creating this fabrication. Okay. Let's get into the, the three fights, Glenn. Um, the first one, the fight of the century, Madison Square Garden, 1971, March 8th, I believe. Frank Sinatra was a photographer for life. Norman Mailer wrote about it. All the stars were there. And it was a great matchup because Frazier was in his prime. Ali had been out. He came back. He had two warm-up fights. He was, you could call him in his prime. He wasn't like as fast. He was bigger. So they got in there and uh, it was exactly what you would expect. Ali Pecking in a poke and pouring water on your smoking, and then Frazier boring his way in, and finally, in the cataclysmic, climactic moment in the fifteenth round, he had that roundhouse left hook that took Ali down and sealed the fate of the fight right there. What tell us about that fight? Any other things, insights we need to know? Okay, well, you know, obviously, uh, coming into the fight, you know, people were really polarized, as we said before. The crowd was heavily for Ali, yet uh, Joe had a lot of support as well. Um, Ali took the early rounds. He was mostly jabbing and moving away and jabbing and moving away. And he scored well, but he wasn't doing damage. Uh, and as the fight wore on, Joe started to get inside his defenses. He really stunned him in the 11th round, uh, you know, almost put him out. And yet they didn't even count that as a knockdown. Right. So, uh, Ali's knees and uh, hands hit the canvas and they did not count it as a knockdown, brushed it off. So there was a lot of like, you know, looking out for Ali during that, that fight. Uh, but Joe in the 15th round, as you said, caught him with a roundhouse and uh, put him down and he got up and literally Ali spent the whole round just trying to hang on. You know, it's interesting that, you know, you talk about, you know, Ali being the smart one and Joe being more challenged, but Joe's team figured out that Ali dropped his right, I believe, 
when he was setting up for an uppercut. And that's how Frazier, the entire fight, was looking for that opening. He got it in the 11th, and then he got it again in the 15th, and that's how he dropped Ali. That's a good point. That matter of fact, that's an excellent point. Ali, early, it, it's interesting. Ken Burns, uh, in that um, Ali documentary that, that's, that's on uh, PBS uh, as we're speaking, yep. uh, in the first episode, he's talking about Ali's coming up and, and his early fights and turning pro and all that. And Ali, early on, had, was dancing and, and had fast hands, but he was making a reputation on doing something very unusual. When he would get into the fight, he would back away from his opponent just as he was delivering the punch. So the punch would not really connect. His arms would be fully extended, and then he could counter punch, and he did a lot of damage that way. But it's dangerous, you know, because you're still in line for that punch. And if you don't time it just right, you can get hurt. You know, he did this in lieu of slipping and sliding side to side, which was considered safer, but more predictable. And he got caught a couple of times. He was knocked down a couple of times in fights where the guy never should have touched him. But he came back from those and he rallied and he covered it up. As a pro... He was more known for being able to punch off of rhythm, or he was able to circle and dance and punch off of motion. And that was his gift. Joe got close enough and figured out the pattern to the dancing. So a lot of times, Ali was rotating instead of away from the punch, was rotating into the punch. So when Joe would catch him, he would catch him flush, and he did tremendous damage that way. And people don't realize how difficult it is to figure out that pattern and to hit a guy at just the right time in just the right distance. I mean, Joe, that was a talent that Joe had. Yeah, people don't realize it. I've been to a lot of heavyweight fights. I used to go to a buddy of mine. We'd go down to Atlantic City. So a lot of Tyson fights, what we would do is we'd wait till like five minutes before the, the, the card would begin. And then we'd buy our tickets and then go in and get a good price. And we get right up close to the ring. And the thing that really amazed me was that the, with the heavyweights, it's one shot. These guys can take each other out in one shot. They are big, strong guys. And it's very dangerous. And, you know, so you have to be really careful if you're a heavyweight, because it doesn't matter if you're better than the guy. They all have the capability of knocking the other guy out with one shot, and they're very dangerous and big. And you know what? That ring is real small. It's not what it looks like on TV. It's like you're in a phone booth with somebody, and it's like, wow, there's no escape. You're in there. You're in there. So you understand why some of these uh, fighters sometimes look like, like, oh, no, I can't believe I'm here, with, particularly with a fighter like Tyson, because there's no place to go but down and out. And that's what happened. But let's get back to the trilogy here. So uh, what happens after the first fight is Frazier takes on, he could have taken an easy fight like Ali did, but he takes on George Foreman. Boxing is all about styles. is totally bad <laughs> choice. And he gets knocked down six times and he loses. 
Ali has a safer fight. I, I'm not sure who he, he fought, but it was an easy one. And then uh, their paths cross again, and it's a 12-round fight, Ali Frazier too. And in this fight, it was very, very obvious that Ali's team had figured out the way to do what, how you deal with Frazier is you pile up the points with the jab. When he comes in, you hold him around the neck and just you hold him, you grab him. I thought it was just a lousy fight. The second fight, it was interesting that it was 12 rounds. I was wondering why, because this was back in the day when the fights were 15 rounds, but it, it was a close decision. A lot of people have gone back and watched that fight, including yourself, Glenn, and said, you know what, Frazier really won this fight. Tell us about Ali Frazier too. Okay. Uh, that was called the rematch and happened in 74 uh, at Madison Square Garden where the first fight was. Um, and again, the boxing establishment was desperate to have Ali win that fight. Uh, a, a loss pretty much would have killed his appeal to the public, losing two in a row to Frazier. It would have uh, prevented his fight with Foreman, the, the rumble in the jungle would have never happened. Um, so they, they needed him to win. They, they needed him to be Ali. And you're right. You know, he was a little bit afraid. He, I think Frazier surprised him, damaged him, and he realized he was a little bit in trouble. So he was throwing a lot of soft punches and running away and then holding and soft punches and running away. Frazier was standing in there and he was not punching as much, but the punches that he was connecting with were solid and did much more damage. They wound up judging this fight the way you would judge an amateur fight. Because an amateur fight is just on touches. Right. So whether you're throwing a jab or you're throwing a knockout punch, it counts the same. And they really scored it like an amateur fight, uh, which was, you know, you know, not the intention. And Joe kept on saying to me, while we were together, in that second fight, I was robbed. I was robbed. And I went back finally, sort of to shut him up. I went and looked back round by round to see what happened. And he was robbed. I mean, probably was a fairly close fight, but Frazier won it like, you know, seven, you know, seven, four, one even or something like that. Uh, you know, the interesting thing was uh, Red Smith was a columnist, very famous columnist for the New York Times. And Dave Anderson was also a columnist for the New York Times. Both won Pulitzer Prizes. Both were boxing experts. And when I went back and checked their columns after the fight, both of them had said Joe Frazier was robbed and he won the fight. Amazing. So that convinced me to go back and re-examine it. Amazing. My special guest, Glenn Lewis, we're having a great time talking about Sparring with Smoke and Joe, uh, his, his award-winning book here. Um, I want to get to the third fight, but I also want to just take a pause and let's give praise to Muhammad Ali because not only he he was a figure, you know, we're, we're, we're big Frazier fans, but Ali was a political figure. He, he bucked the draft. He got punished for it. He took his punishment and uh, came back bigger than ever. 
and he did a lot a lot of work for people around the world you know spiritually and he he did to me he had the most amazing performance and strategy when he fought George Foreman so what happened Frazier had gotten knocked out by Foreman I think I don't know if it was for the second time whatever Ali fought Foreman in Zaire and he did the rope-a-dope and he knocked him out this wasn't a split decision or something like that he knocked out Foreman the unbeatable Foreman in the eighth round and uh that set up another fight but I just want to take a pause here and say something about Ali Glenn, and then we'll get to Thriller in Manila because eventually the 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 paths collide again in the Philippines in an indoor venue, very hot, no air conditioning, and uh, these are two guys who are like a little bit beyond their prime, and they've had a couple of wars together, and this was the ultimate war. That's true. Uh, you know, look, Ali was a great man for his political stance. Ali uh, appealed to a part of the culture that was not being listened to, was not being served. Uh, He forced the government, uh, he forced society to consider certain problems and to argue them and to honor them in a way. So he was, you know, he was tremendous force much more than any sports guy would normally be. Uh, You know, they talk about sports guys being, you know, role models and stuff like that. He went way beyond the idea of a role model. He created an enhanced political Mm movements and political movements that usually led to social justice. And that's unique. I want to make sure that we acknowledge that because, you know, Ali transcended the athlete athletics and he did a lot. And it's interesting because you have these two guys that we both respect so much and they had different types of contributions. But we don't want to overlook Joe Frazier. And that's what, Glenn, your book is about. And you did such a wonderful job. Let's just touch on Thriller in Manila from your perspective. And then let's get into the to me, the meat of the book is Joe and his family and his relationship with his son and really gives you an insight as to the type of individual he became uh, after his career. So let's okay. start with Thriller in Manila. All right. With the Thriller in Manila, um, well, first of all, my coverage of that fight wound up being really unique in a way because um, I covered it, you know, way after the fight took place. I mean, I, I wasn't you know, with his entourage for the fight. So I used interviews with Joe and Marvis together to talk about the fight. And so the whole, their whole approach became a very personal view of the fight. So I didn't get a boxing view as much as a personal view. And uh, Joe described first, the pre-fight um, routine, and he would be in the uh, locker room with his son praying before the fight. And it, it was funny because he, pre- he didn't talk about praying to win. He didn't talk about praying to, to beat up Ali. He talked about just praying to have the intestinal fortitude to, to show up to represent himself well, to to fight a good fight. Uh, He saw himself 
as almost like a religious warrior in a way. You know, he he took this the fighting as almost like in a religious experience. And he just wanted to represent his side well. And so he talked about the warrior culture that both fighters had, you know, leading into the fight. Uh, from Marvis's point of view, he was talking about what it was like to watch a fight from ringside where he started to realize after a while that his father might lose and his father was getting beaten up. And the idea of watching your, your role model, your father, you know, sure. taking that abuse. And, uh, and it got very emotional, you know, for the fight uh, that way. Uh, but the other thing that people don't realize is they both took a, a tremendous amount of punishment. Uh, they both had many rounds that they did serious damage. It was 130 degrees in the arena. And then they were under bright lights, which made it more like 150 degrees. Uh, they were literally melting. They were totally uh, dehydrated uh, by the 14th round. Uh, literally, Ali couldn't lift his arms anymore. Joe's eyes were closing. Uh, so both fighters were actually preparing not to come out for the 15th round. And Joe's side, led by Eddie Futch, who took over from Yang Durham, he just happened to quit, you know, 30 seconds before Ali's, you know, side would have quit. And, and as a matter of fact, Ali said after the fight, that was the closest to dying I ever experienced. It's amazing. So after that, the, their careers were never the same. Joe they had some other never. fights. Yeah. And they, as like a lot of the sad story for a lot of older, experienced boxers who's given so much, they end up being on the receiving end at the end of their career. So both their careers end. Joe goes off and he sets up the Joe Frazier review. I thought it was called Joe Frazier and a knockout. I was on, Glenn, yeah. I was on vacation to the Virginia beach with some buddies of mine. And we saw Joe Frazier's playing in town. This was back in around 1980-ish. And we said, let's go see him. So we got went and we had front row seats in this club, the small club. And he came around, he sang all these songs and he came around to shake everybody's hands. And he, when he got to us, he put two fingers out, his uh, index finger and his middle finger. And that's how big his hand was because I shook hands and that's all I could get my hand just about around those. I've never seen a guy with bigger hands, like meteor hands in my entire life. And he was just, wow, you could really see the power in this guy. And it was so funny. The next day we saw him at the car wash with his troop really. And, uh, and they, uh, they were getting the car wash and he had on a leather vest and uh, no shirt. And it was just like he had come from the club or something. It was so hilarious. And I felt bad because here was a guy who was a hero of mine and I got to meet him, but you know, he was just getting his car washed like everybody else and off they went. And uh, I was like, wow, what a story. But you mentioned actually his, uh, the Joe Frazier review and you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a great singer, but he put his all into his work. And then a lot of the, uh, your book focuses on that relationship between Marvis, his son and Joe and how Joe wanted to shape Marvis into a mini version of Joe Frazier, even in boxing style when his friend, his son wasn't really meant for that. And it ended up in him getting crushed 
by Mike Tyson, who was on the way up. It was probably a bad fight for them to pick. And they also threw him in with Larry Holmes and he got handed, he got his head handed to him in that one also. And it really showed, uh, you know, a different part of Frazier, which is a very stubborn guy, very tough father, always thought he was right. Did that change your perspective of him at all? No, I mean, that sort of confirmed what I believe, but Joe really mismanaged, you know, Marvis. Uh, you got, first of all, let's be straight about Marvis's career and Marvis as a fighter. Marvis was a much better fighter than ever, ever uh, than anyone ever gave him credit for. He was 19 and two as a professional. And his two losses, as you mentioned, were to Larry Holmes, who was the heavyweight champ then, and had won 44 straight fights and had won, you know, 17 or 18 uh, championship fights in a row at that point. And was uh, and he was fighting him after 10 pro fights. He, Joe put him in much too early. Uh, and his loss to Tyson, Tyson was in his prime. Joe underestimated Tyson as a, as a contender. He was the number two contender at that time. Marvis was maybe number 10. Uh, he should have fought three or four more fights before getting in the ring with Tyson. So both fights, he fought the fights prematurely. Um, he really didn't stand a chance from maturity or experience-wise. If he had fought either fighter, a year later or a year and a half later, it might have been a different story. Amazing. So, so he's he could have if he had stayed with George Benton, who was a used to be known as the professor, a great uh, boxing trainer. If he had stayed with him as his trainer, I believe he would have been a heavyweight champ. Okay, our very special guest, Glenn Lewis. Let's just wrap up on what happened with Joe of nineteen uh, two thousand eleven. I think he. He got liver cancer. He died uh, like within two months. And um, the good news is that not his passing, but they finally they have a statue of Rocky Sylvester Stallone in, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania, in Philly. And now they put up a statue of the much more deserving. I mean, from an artistic standpoint, yes, Stallone and Rocky deserve deserve that statue. But from a human standpoint, and somebody who's a real man, not a fictional character, who really did the job, Joe Frazier, got his statue in front of the NBC, NBC Universal building there. So there's a there's a happy ending to that, at least, that he's finally getting his due. People like yourself, Glenn, are giving Joe Frazier his due as a human being, as a boxer, an athlete, and somebody who just shows, like, you know, the underdog. You want to pull for the underdog. You You respect resiliency. It's about never giving up. And I got a lot out of it in terms of, a story about life, really, and how life is, the ups and downs, the realities. You did a wonderful job. Thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio. I want you to tell everybody out there where they can find your book and more about you, Glenn. Thank you so much. Well, first of all, you can look for the book on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and bookstores, wherever books are sold. And, of course, you can lend it from your library. The American Library Association association recognized the book, so I'd like to recognize the libraries. Um, and also, uh, my Twitter account is at uh, Glenn Lewis NYC, uh, and the Facebook account is glenn.lewis.nyc. Um, I, you know, have some, uh, some big events coming up, and I'll 
publicize those events on, on there. Uh, but uh, I think the conversation about Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali is just getting started. Um, there's been a lot done in different publications recently about the best individual sports rivalry in history. And this has always been recognized as the best in boxing. And now it's starting to be recognized as the best individual sports rivalry in history. You know, you can look at Jack Nicholas and, you know, and Arnold Palmer and golf and, and uh, Bird and, and Magic, magic and, you know, and, and things like that. But this is recognized as the best. Awesome. Well, great job. The name of the book, Sparring with Smoke and Joe, Joe Frazier's Epic Battles and Rivalry with Ali. But there's much, much more in the. It's a real human story. And you're a terrific writer. You did a great job. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope we can do it again, Glenn. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for a really wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men, better world. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, what a great conversation with Glenn Lewis. A terrific guy, great writer. I really enjoyed it, and we talked about Joe Frazier. We didn't have enough time to get into the current state of boxing out there, but we did spend a lot of time on Frazier, Ali, and the the cultural implications and overtones of when they had their epic battles together. And, and what did we learn? You know, as I mentioned in the opening, I, I think we learned that Joe Frazier... Uh, represented the underdog and uh, the those that don't get the respect that sometimes they deserve because they're not as flashy or not as entertaining as uh, some of their uh, other folks that are out there in whatever field they may be in, but they just are all about hard work, determination, resiliency, persistence, and overcoming challenges. And Joe Frazier, man, you got my respect. You did a terrific job. You lived a great life and you were a great heavyweight champion, and you're a good man also. So thank you for uh, being you, and we really had a great time talking about you today on the show. All right, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. Guys Guys Radio is rebroadcast on KCAA every Wednesday, excuse me, every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. The podcast and my YouTube, Guys Guys TV, post worldwide every Thursday. You can catch me all over social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Twitter and also my website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I is the last name, dot com has three free chapters of my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, which is really the source material for the whole Guy's Guy's brand. It's about two men in advertising. 
competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City, and they're really evolving men. They're flawed, but they're evolving, and they learn a lot, and you go along on the journey with them, and it's a lot of fun. And there's some terrific, savvy women in the book, and uh, I think everybody who reads it has a fun time. It's a romp, it's a rom-com, but it's about something. So you can check it out on Amazon or wherever you pick up your books. Guys, Guys, Guide to Love. And I'm also on my website, robertmanny.com, you can also read my 300 plus blog posts, everything about life, love, the pursuit of happiness. I just had a new post about a week ago about my giving up drinking. Um, It's been just about a year now, and I never had a problem with drinking, but I gave it up because I decided, you know what, I had enough of it, and I was in the business for a while, and I'm like, I don't know if I need this long term, and I stopped. And I feel fantastic, and I'm not saying it's for everybody, but this was just about what I did, why I did it, and my experience along this journey. And I'm not going back. I'm, I'm, I'm done. And uh, I, th- I think you might find some interesting insights there that could relate to different parts of your life out there that you might want to say, hey, I don't know if I want to do this or that anymore, and, and how you can change. Because... A lot of times for guys, particularly, it's all about getting unstuck because we get stuck and it's hard to make changes. And in fact, my next blog post that I'm working on now is going to be about how to get unstuck because uh, it's just so easy to get wrapped up in things and not be able to move off the dime or make the changes that you know you need to make at certain times in life. So I'm going to write about that because I can say that I have learned how to get unstuck in many areas of my life And it's made a huge difference. And I'll get into all of that for you. So we're here every Wednesday evening again on Guys Guys Radio on KCAA. I'm here for you. I've got so many great guests lined up. We're heading. We're rounding the turn towards my 500th show. I'm very excited about that. I want to thank my wonderful producer, Chris, who's doing such a great job and always has my back. And also all my wonderful guests that I've had, the interviews we've had, and also the guests that are coming up that you're going to love. And also, most of all, I want to thank you, my listeners and viewers on Guys Guys TV, for being there with me as I grow and grow and grow. So we'll see you next week on Guys Guys Radio. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. Finish first.